the podcast where music meets sports. I'm Gannon Hannibal, and you're listening to What's the Score? What's the Score? What's going on, Blaze Radio? You're listening to What's the Score? I'm your host, Gannon Hannibal, and this is the podcast and radio show where music meets sports. I'm joined for the second straight week by a member of the Blaze Radio Board of Directors, and this week it's Ali Kresniak, the program director. Ali, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Gannon? You know, uh, I am, I'm excited. What's the score is usually like the best part of my week. And it's even better when I get to have, you know, people that I consider friends on the show. And so for the second straight week, it's even better. Yeah, exactly. I know we're only in the second week of programming, but it's been, it's been a good start. I'm really excited and thanks for inviting me on. Well, for you as, as a programming director, what's your first impressions of what you've seen at Blaze Radio? We've got a pretty full schedule. Yeah, it's it's a lot of motivated returners and newcomers. So it's really exciting just to see all the ideas that people are coming up with. And this is also obviously the first time I've been on the board and been in a leadership position with Blaze. So just getting to oversee all of that and not just being a member and being in the middle of it, but actually leading newcomers individually and seeing what they enjoy and what they want to learn has been really inspiring and just makes me more excited for the entire year basically with Blaze. One thing that I think is cool with this year's board of directors is I think we've got a pretty wide base of like passions because Ethan is, I mean, he's, he's a education. He's 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 a teacher or soon to be a teacher. I guess he is a teacher. He's already a teacher. He's basically, he's doing the thing already. He's a, (laughs) he's a teacher and a radio station director, which I think is an absolutely awesome combo because my family is all teachers and stuff. And then I know you are a poli sci major and you're interested in doing the LSATs after you graduate this year. Where, Where did that passion come from? Yeah, it all, kind of happened really quickly. I'm a poli-sci minor. And, minor, sorry, um, my bad. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. And I added the poli-sci minor pretty early into when I started at Cronkite, just because it makes more sense to add a minor anyways. Uh, but I didn't really think about law school. It was more just I'm interested in it, and it's something that most people should know and probably don't know enough about. That's originally why I started taking those classes. And then I kind of started thinking about law school when I realized that I wasn't sure how I felt about reporting because it's it's a tough industry to get into. And even though I've always enjoyed being at Cronkite and felt really lucky to be surrounded by all these motivated people, I knew there was something kind of off. I don't, it wasn't that I didn't fit in here because obviously I have so many great friends and met a lot of amazing people, but I just couldn't see myself, you know, like being in front of the camera full time. And then I started Mass Comm Law, which most people are like, it's the worst class you take in Cronkite ever. Don't take, like, if you take the session A, you're going to fail and you're going to have to drop out of it. And I loved it. I really liked the material and I thought it came really naturally. 
and it's just a lot of reading and writing which I already enjoy doing so it kind of made sense and then when I started giving the material to study for the LSAT on top of that it was making sense to me so it's kind of been a good fit so far so it's going to be a hard test I'm not trying to overcome it myself or say you know I'm going to get a great score but um, it's exciting that I kind of found where I should be going you know yeah no I always I always find it impressive because like you said most people absolutely dread the mass comm law class i haven't taken it yet i've heard nothing but like just intimidating things and uh my my older sister she's uh she's a lawyer and she's in like litigation now and she's done the lsat and the whole process and she's so passionate and excited about that kind of thing and it's hard for me to like grasp it as someone that is (laughs) You know, I just want to talk about sports and music for a living. And she's like, oh, well, I want to write these pages long papers or about law. How did you like discover that something like that was so exciting to you? Was it through MassCom Law or did you kind of have a feeling before? I, I've talked about it before with just some other people that I knew that were going, that were taking the LSAT as well. And it's interesting because it's not really testing your knowledge it's testing how you think and it kind of makes sense because I grew up playing a lot of these like logic games whether they're like certain card games or just like puzzle type stuff and I always really enjoyed that and it turns out I didn't even know this before I started studying but that's literally a part of the LSAT so I didn't know that I wanted to go into it but it just makes sense and then yeah because of mass comm law I was like yeah, maybe I should start looking into this as an actual career because I'm also kind of a workaholic when I do have the opportunity to be a workaholic. So uh, on top of that, it's like, yeah, the most lawyers would, their personalities would match what my personality is. So, so I can assume. (laughs) I can see that. I, I told my I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but I was telling my both of my sisters, and I think I talked to Vaughn about it. I I think it's awesome that I I see parallels between my own like me and my siblings and the board of directors. You have two sisters, right? Right. I have two sisters yeah. and three brothers, just like on the board of directors. <laughs> There's six of us. I'm I'm the youngest there as well. And then and, you're the youngest here. Mm-hmm. And so it all adds up. And and you remind me personality-wise quite a bit of of my sister who's a lawyer. And that's why it kind of – like when I never knew that because obviously I didn't really meet you in person until yeah. like, a, like a few weeks ago. And I <laughs> – You've already been on the board for months and then we finally meet in person. Yeah. <laughs> I, still, I still think it's crazy that I have yet to meet Allie Forbes. I mean Allie Forbes is like one of the – uh, key factors in me even being in this role because she trusted the endorsement of the the people that are I love dearly who are on this board, and uh, I think it's crazy that I still haven't met her just because of the way COVID has worked out. It's it's crazy. And then you and Jordan, I didn't meet either of you two until yeah. yep. just weeks ago, and that's that's insane. But. I, before I even knew that you'd be interested in law, I, I kind of like could tell. I was like, she's got a very similar personality to my sister and it would not surprise me if she was into law and then you said it and I was like, oh my, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense, full circle, yeah, yeah. One thing that I think is cool about, about the relationship we have as a board of directors is we all have a few passions in common and those work perfectly for this show because I think sports and music is something we can all bond over. Um, I, I agree. 
I would say music more than anything. Uh, obviously, Ethan's a, Ethan's an assistant music director. I was an assistant music director in the past. I've had conversations with you about music, and I think you probably know more about music than me. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think you know a lot about music, Gannon. I don't want to... <laughs> I think your music, your music taste... It, it had a head start on mine. I always say I had such a vanilla music taste for a long time because I, I really only listened to, uh, you know, a very few amount of artists. There's the, I, I stuck to my comfort zone until really my senior year of high school. And I think you and Vaughn, you know, you guys have talked about the experiences you guys had in high school. I think you guys had a little bit of a head start on, on being exposed to other types of music. Yeah. The, the, cool thing about growing up in Arizona, one of the, one of the cool things there's, there's a, there's few, but there are some is that there's a lot of venues, which I know you're from Vegas. So I'm sure there's, I mean, there's tons of venues that you could go to too, but there's a lot of small ones here, especially in downtown Phoenix. So concert tickets are going to be like $10 for bands that are just like up and coming. So I was kind of lucky that I did kind of discover that in high school and was able to go to so many of those shows and have friends that want to go with me, even if they didn't know the band and then I start listening to them in the future. And then, yeah, just expanding your music taste in general too, because I, I don't know, it's, it's nice to have a broad range and to kind of be able to listen to anything. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, you know, Vegas having all these venues, but you would be surprised how few artists actually stop by on tours. Really? It's very disappointing. They just, they just can't find a good place to that like fits their their niche, I guess. I think what's interesting is Vegas is the I mean it's the entertainment capital of the world is what people call it, and yet the population wise, I think it's somewhere in like the low twenties for most populated cities in the United States. And so I think it's just not a huge hub for artists to stop by unless they're huge, like unless they're already have an established fan base that they know yeah. is going to show up or if they're Vegas locals. And so I think sometimes it's hard. I, I find that some of my favorite artists, if they're having tours like every year, it's probably once every three years they'll stop by in Vegas. And so it is kind of a bummer. But when I came to Phoenix last year to go to ASU, I went to more concerts in my whatever, seven months that I got to be in person last year than I did probably in the three years of high school or four years of high school. Because you that have I had. so many venues within walking distance of you. Like the Van Buren is right there. Comerica is right there. There's others. What What is your favorite Phoenix area concert venue? You know, I have some nostalgia for the Van Buren just because it is tiny, uh, but I've seen a few good ones there. I saw um, Hippocampus. My, my junior year, my junior year of high school, like years and years ago, when they just released like their first EP and no one had even heard of them. And they were the opener for, I don't even remember. I didn't even stay for who it actually was. I went for Hippocampus and it was like such a good time. I, so I the Van Buren. The Van, I would say the Van Buren as well for me. And obviously you have more nostalgic connection because you're an Arizona local. But I think last year, out of all the concerts I went to, I just, I love the atmosphere of the Van Buren. You just walk in there and it's just, it's very, it, it's open, but yet it's small. Mm -hmm. Like it, I, I'm the type of person where I can get like claustrophobic in a very small venue. And somehow the Van Buren's able to achieve 
the ability of like, it feels intimate without feeling claustrophobic. Right. And I think that's a tough thing to do. I also really love Valley Bar. I guess that would probably be my nostalgic connection is Valley Bar is where I had my first interview with an artist through Blaze. And that one was kind of thrown at me last second. So I didn't get a chance to like research the artists very much. And it's a singer named Briston Maroney, who's now one of my favorite artists like at all. And so it's kind of cool that I got a chance to interview him before I even really knew much about him. And it's honestly right. the interview that made me a fan of it. So I, I, I have a special place in my heart for the Valley Bar as well. What was the first venue you went to in Arizona? Do you remember? In Arizona. Let's see. It would have been probably when I saw John Mayer at Talking Stick, I think would have been my first concert. Actually, it might have been it might have been Club Red. I think it was Club Red in Tempe. And I that saw That's where I went to my first concert. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, that was my freshman year of high school. Who'd you see? Yeah. Oh, it was so I went for American Authors. I saw American then... Authors last year. Yeah, and the openers were Mr. Wives and the Royal Concept. And it was a really good concert. And it was tiny, but I had a really good time, especially because it was my first concert. But it was a good one. Yeah. I yeah, my first Arizona concert was it was at Club Red and I saw Hoodie Allen, which was <laughs> Like it's he's kind of a he, he was really fun to see in concert. Like I didn't go into it. it. I'm not yeah. like a diehard Hoodie Allen fan. I, I knew probably a dozen of his songs, and I honestly I just went because tickets were cheap. And I remember he dropped an album about a month before I came to school, and there was a lyric on the album about like ASU, because the, the album was called Whatever USA, and he was kind of name dropping all these like cities around the USA. And he had a line about Tempe and then talked about ASU and liking the view. And I thought it was cool that it was an Arizona State related line that I had just come to Arizona State. And so I was like, you know what, whatever, I'll go see him. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was my first Phoenix concert, I believe. And I actually, I saw American Authors last year as well. I saw them with uh, Magic Giant and, yeah. and Public, which was pretty cool. I got a chance to interview Magic Giant with Blaze, which was really cool. That's probably the highest profile artists I've been able to interview so far. So, and that was at the Van Buren. And I, I got to say backstage of the Van Buren is as cool as in front of the stage. <laughs> I know that's kind of a flex, but, uh, that was definitely a cool experience. Yeah, I, know, I know we have a, an album in common in our album of the year discussion. And it's an album that we've talked about. This is probably the third time I've talked about it on this show. I talked about it with Vaughn last week and that's Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. So tell me about when was the first time you heard Punisher and what was your first impression? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was from TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I, I think when lockdown kind of happened, I just, I was watching a lot of TV and movies and I was reading a lot too. So I just wasn't listening to a lot of music just to be like I just wasn't listening to a lot of music and so when I downloaded TikTok over the summer uh, her song kind of appeared out of nowhere and I'm like this is a good song um who is this and then I listened to the full album and it was like yeah yeah she she knows what's up it's I just like the sound of her voice I think it's so unique and she's just such an interesting person too because didn't she oh no I'm thinking of was it Maggie Rogers or Phoebe Bridgers that went to NYU 
I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think Phoebe Bridgers went to NYU, but I might be wrong. Um, I'm. I don't even remember either. I kind of want to look it up because I think it was Maggie Rogers. I've yeah, got. I've got. I've got mixed feelings with NYU because they they waitlisted me when I applied. <laughs> no way. Yeah, me and well, me and NYU have beef. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I don't want to talk about it. It's fine. Yeah, I I just really I think again her her style of music too just kind of fits into what I've been listening to for most of my life. There's kind of that like soft indie rock whatnot. So it's it's something that I can just listen to when I'm in bed or when I'm like going for a walk and kind of. <laughs> disassociate which sounds really bad but that's like the go-to album and I just need to like relax and not think about anything else you know no yeah that's a real thing and and what you said <laughs> about like soft indie rock being your genre that's probably my go-to genre as well is just the super simplistic instrumentals and what's interesting about that album is it feels so minimalist but yet there's so much going on you can tell yeah. there's so many different instruments coming together for every single song, but yet it feels just so intimate in the way that she, because her voice is so soft and everything is just kind of, I don't know, I think it's presented kind of gently. And then obviously the end of the album is this big crash hoorah on I Know oh, The I End, know. Yeah. which is my, probably a top 10 song of 2020 for me. I absolutely love that song. And you just know there's so much meaning behind all the songs too. It's not just, I'm going to put all these pretty lyrics together and make melody and make it sound really good and cool and soft and whatnot. You know that she's writing from the heart and that the music goes along to accompany, accompany that to its T. So it's just really beautiful to listen to, especially when I listened to it all the first time. I was like, you know, you have those moments where you just kind of think, like, wow, this is good. This is, this is good. I think another thing that I really love about Phoebe Bridgers is I, I feel like sometimes for people that are, are listeners of music, it's hard for them to almost cross, like, the gender barrier. Like, I find myself listening to more male artists than female artists, and I'm sure there's a lot of girls that listen to more female artists than male artists. But I can, like, proudly be a diehard Phoebe Bridgers fan because her lyrics are so genuine that I think they, they cross all boundaries like that. It, it doesn't matter what, you know, subgroup you are. I think they're relatable in some way or shape or form. And you can tell how authentic she is with the way she presents herself on social media and the way that she sings uh, in, in, in the songs. I think it's just her, her authenticity makes it easier to cross any sort of barrier that might have you apprehensive to listen to that type of music. And I think that's what's kind of cool. Just know it, it goes, there's so much history that goes back behind that kind of thing too. Obviously there are so, there were more opportunities for male artists to get popular and to get more stage time and get more albums recorded. So yeah, there's like this deep rooted history that guys are just more inclined to like listen to guys and girls are also just more inclined to listen to girls because most of the time they're singing about things that they can relate to, which I think still applies with Punisher, but it's also something that everybody can just appreciate. And even though they might not have this similar experiences as Phoebe, it's something that they can still listen to and understand what she's going through. 
Well, she talks about such universal things. I mean, she's she's diving into mental health and the state of America, and it's it's a lot to take in. And I think it's something that, like I said, really everyone can relate to at this point. And it just shows the progression of music, too, because so much back in the day was just feel-good music, kind of singing about anything, and now it's really what you're feeling and what's going on in the world and what other people are also experiencing and how you can portray that in just a song. And like you said, I mean, it's, it does, it shows a lot about how far music has come because she's, if, if you, I think if someone in 1960 were to hear this, they'd be like, what in the world are we listening to? Yeah. yeah. And yet it's one of the most widely accepted, critically acclaimed albums of the year because, like you said, we've progressed so much, I think, as the, the music industry has at least, that someone like Phoebe Bridgers, who she, she doesn't fit, like, the cliche branding on social media. I mean, if you, if you follow her, mm-hmm. she's just hilarious. Like, yeah. You, yeah. You, you see so many, I feel like so many, uh, at least historically, so many artists feel like they have to present themselves in a certain a mold or, or look like other artists that have come before them. And I like that she's kind of breaking that ceiling a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you just see it now more and more with a lot of artists that they're not going to change who they are and how they present themselves just because their music is widely accepted, which I think is really cool. And yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> We've got two more albums I know you wanted to talk about. And it's funny, they're both under the exact same name. We've got Dreamland by Glass Animals, which came out just in August. And then we've got Dreamland by Coin, which came out back in February. I, I knew the Coin album uh, back when it came out because I had a, a friend of mine put me kind of on to Coin back in like December. So it was just good timing. And then I, did, I hadn't heard the Glass Animals album until you brought it up, actually. And I've been listening to it quite a bit the last few days. I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that one first. The Glass Animals one? Yes, that um, dreamland. <laughs> that dreamland. I, so I have listened to Glass Animals since Gooey came out. Uh, if you know that song, it was basically like their first popular song. And they're, they have a weird they have a weird style and I always appreciated that and I still appreciate that you kind of still see those same tones in that album now but at the same time they've progressed a lot as a band too because now there are some verses or now there are some songs that have some rap verses in them and they're they they range a lot more on dreamland And so it really is more like a storytelling aspect with this album because they have the three songs that are also home movies. So you hear clips, I'm assuming from members of the band's actual home movies from their past. Maybe I'm completely making that up, but that's what it is made out to be. And then they progress into these songs, which I think is really cool. And there's just some, there's some bangers on the album. I was actually listening to it on my run this morning because I was kind of preparing for the show because you're like let's talk about albums I was like cool 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 and it really gets you in the mood to like run through a wall some of them some of them some of them are a lot more toned back but I I'm curious what you think of the album 
I thought it was very cool. You know, Spotify has that feature now where sometimes you can swipe up on songs and it'll give you kind of some background on it. And mm-hmm. I was reading up on the background of some of this album and, and you did say that those those home videos are probably from members of the band. I think it's actually from the lead singer, Dave Bailey. And I thought yeah. it was kind of cool on the very first song, the background that they had, it says that the name of the album, it came from a time that Dave Bailey, the lead singer, his teacher like snapped at him, that he was kind of daydreaming in class. And, and she yelled at him, get out of dreamland, you idiot. <laughs> and, and that's where the name came from. And I think that's awesome. That's such a cool way to name your album off of just a really vivid memory from fourth grade. I think that's so cool. It's funny that it's fourth grade, too. Like, that must have stuck in his mind so much that he was either really embarrassed or just how how did he pull that memory all these years later from something a teacher said to him? And, I mean, speaking of breaking barriers and and genre bending, as we were saying with with Phoebe Bridgers, I mean, this album is that. I don't even know what genre I could even call it. It's hip-hop, it's rock, it's indie, it's a little alternative. It's got a little bit of everything. There's a Denzel Curry guest verse. It's it's somehow the, the genres are all over the place, but yet it's got some continuity, which is kind of a cool... Yeah. Uh, to have both those happening at the same time is awesome. I would... It's almost like psychedelic type pop. I, I don't know. I would agree. So it's, I think their base was always indie rock, but they just have so much, I don't know. There's the, the beats are a lot, are a lot more intense than most indie rock songs. And then again, they're really unique style and they are from the UK, which is another thing you can almost tell that they're not an American band. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can tell with like, if you listen to certain artists and you think, oh, they're not from America, but you can, you can kind of tell. Do you have a favorite song on that album? Um, I would say Heat Wave. That, wow, we're on the same, we are on the same wavelength. No way. Yes, I've listened, yeah. I've listened through it two or three times now. And Heat Waves is definitely my favorite. Just the end of that album as a whole, Heat Waves and Helium consecutively, I think, is yeah. is my favorite part of the album. I like that Helium does a really good job of basically wrapping up the whole album because it ties back into Dreamland, the opening song, mm-hmm. has that same, those same tones. And I also really enjoy Tokyo Drifting because, again, really got me in the mood when I was running this morning. So, <laughs> but I think those two. But yeah, Heat Wave is, is the Denzel Curry guest verse is awesome for someone. Yeah, for someone who's new to Glass Animals to come in and have like some familiarity because I'm I'm a <laughs> I like Denzel Curry quite a bit and so I was looking forward to that song. I had looked at the track list a little bit and I was like I cannot wait to hear Tokyo Drifting and it did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. I can see why that would be a good running song. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's go from Dreamland to Dreamland here, and <laughs> and head over to Coin and uh, this one I'm a little bit more familiar with because I've been listening to Coin. For, for most of this year now. I think it's kind of cool, a song that's not on this album, but is from one of their earlier projects. Uh, I think it might be on their self-titled, no, it's on How Will You Know If You Never Try. Uh, don't Cry 2020, which is kind of cool that that came out in 2017. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with that song. I am, I am. It's, what can I say? They saw the future, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I remember when I got into them this year, I saw that 
And I was like, wait a minute, did they get the date wrong on this release? There's no way they released a song in 2017 called Don't Cry 2020. And now everyone's crying in 2020. <laughs> Every single person, one way or another, is crying in 2020. Yep. I, yeah. Well, fast forward to the actual 2020, and we've got Dreamland and there's not one song on this album that I dislike. I found like listening to it a few times, I I was able to revisit it over the course of the last week. And it reminded me just, I think this is like such a balanced album. There's no song on there that I'm like, Oh, I got to skip this. You know what I mean? I, I always liked coin. I liked them. I think when I first started listening to them, it was when talk too much came out their single I just really enjoyed how upbeat they are and their sound. And they're from Nashville, but they're obviously not a stereotypical, they're not country related at all, right? They're another indie pop rock. And this album came out in February. And I remember I was just doing like a daily shuffle on Spotify it was kind of like the release radar or a daily mix or one of the curated Spotify playlists that they make for you and Cemetery came on and I was like this is a good song and then I looked to a buzz I was like oh that makes sense it's coin they are awesome well it's it's kind of cool we're on the same wavelength again because Cemetery I was going to say is probably my favorite song on this album I think it it speaks to a lot of the fears that I have for myself. Uh, I think I have a tendency to be a workaholic sometimes and the lyrics in that song hit a little too close to home. Like I have like, it's funny. I was telling my best friend a few weeks ago, I was like, man, if there's, when people ask me the question, like, what do you want to be when you're, when you're older? I would say, I just, I don't want to be a workaholic. And I found myself (laughs) over the course of the last month or two becoming that. And I'm like, no, I'm doing all of the things I did not want to do. And so when I hear that song, it, it gives me, it's like, I don't know, it's reassuring. It's kind of, it it shows me what I don't want to do with my life and Mm -hmm. it kind of puts me back on track. And so that's why I have a a good appreciation for Cemetery. And I mean, I think there's the balance too with Oh, yeah. working too much and just like enjoying what you like so obviously I would take it with a grain of salt because everything you're doing is actually going to help you in your future career even though you might be missing out on some other stuff but I, I think that's a good point that you're you really should focus on the people you surround yourself with and I know it sounds so cliche and cheesy but just actually living in the moment I know are right but not not paying attention to the future or the past too much which I I know I typically tend to do is what can I do what can I do next week or dwelling on something that happened like a month ago and it just sticking with me the entire time so I think sometimes I have a hard time of just being present and it's something that I've tried to improve on especially since I started college because it goes by quickly. Now that I'm a senior, it's really scary. I don't know how I got here this quickly, but here we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning right now that you and I have a lot of similar traits. I think it's crazy. <laughs> we, we, we've been on the same board of directors for, for a few months now. And I think this is probably our first real like one-on-one conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, everything you were saying about always being focused on what you can do in the future to set yourself up or dwelling on a, a mistake or something cool you did in the past, I find myself doing that plenty. And I try to live in the moment, cliche phrase. <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I could always drop the in these unprecedented times. <laughs> that's another fun one. Um, but it's, it's hard sometimes. It really is. And that's another thing that's kind of cool about this album is – it almost feels nostalgic in a way because uh, it, it's, for me, reminiscent of other similar bands that have put out albums in the past. I remember when I first listened to it, it felt like I was listening to uh, Two Door Cinema Club for the first time again. And yeah, I can relate to that. It was almost like this shouldn't have come out in 2020. Right. It sounds like a mid-2010s album from my high school years, but now I'm old and but it still makes me feel the same type of way that these you know like 2014 albums do which is cool did you did you just call yourself old at what 22 21 i feel old i'm 21 but i feel old (laughs) (laughs) i'm 19 i guess i'm well on my way uh we'll 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 take a an interesting transition here i it's i find sometimes it's hard for me to bridge the gap between music and sports which is what this show is all about i know last week uh, we jumped from Phoebe Bridgers to basketball on my show with Vaughn. So today, you know, let's let's jump from existential crises to uh, hockey. I know, we got, we got deep into the, the rabbit hole. It's fine, though. We got very deep. Uh, <laughs> I know you know a lot more about hockey than I do. I'm a brand new hockey fan because I didn't follow the sport until Vegas was gifted a team. And so... Yeah. I'm still like picking up on which players are, are the best ones to watch for. I've, I find that my pride in the Golden Knights is probably even higher than my pride in any other team or not, like any other team I support in any league. I mean, I've been a Minnesota Vikings fan my whole life. I've been a Suns fan my whole life. But I would say my pride in the Golden Knights is even higher than them at this point just because it feels different having someone in your hometown. And I know you're pretty close with your hometown team. Tell me about your love for the Coyotes. Well, let me let me just preface. I think your your love and your pride in the Golden Knights probably supersedes my how many years of being a Coyotes fan just because I've had to deal with the emotional trauma of being a Coyotes fan. So, I'll start with that. But yeah, I I have a pretty interesting team standard because, right, I, I'm from here. I've lived here my entire life, but then I've also kind of been gifted some of my parents' teams as well. I am, you know, for football-wise, I watch the Vikings because my mom's from Minnesota. That's like my NFL team. I did and not know that. School. Yeah, Let's go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't watch a lot of NFL, which you probably could have deduced when I was picking my fantasy team. Yeah, well, you're not um, missing out this year. It's a bad year to be a Vikings fan. Yeah, I'm a Vikings fan. Um, I, I use that phrase lately. And then <laughs> I, watch, I watch a lot of college football with my dad because my dad just lives and breathes college football. He's a Michigan fan. So I've grown up, you know, watching the Wolverines from the big house and all that good stuff. And then my dad also loves baseball and he was a Tigers fan growing up, but he doesn't really watch the Tigers a lot now because it's the Tigers and they're not that exciting. <laughs> Understanding. And so yeah, we watch the D-backs, but then 
the one team that both my parents have always just loved has been the Coyotes. And it kind of goes back, right? Both my parents are from the Midwest. My mom's from Minnesota. My dad's from Michigan. And neither of them played hockey, but then they moved out here and they met on a blind date to a Roadrunners game, which was the minor league team here when they were still based in Phoenix. Now they're in Tucson. And then fast forward a few years, my brother played hockey for years and years and years. So I basically grew up watching him play hockey. So I just was always really familiar with the sport and felt really comfortable watching it and understood the rules. And then I think around junior or senior year of high school is when I remember randomly just watching a game on TV with my dad and one of the, the analysts who's Tyson Nash, he's a former Coyotes player was talking about the age, the average age, ages of the Coyotes players. And it was so low at that year. It was like 24 or something ridiculous. So I was looking up some of the players and a lot of them were a year or two older than me. And then I got really familiar with all these players. And then I just kind of became the obsessive Coyotes watcher that I have been for the past few years. So it's been interesting because Right. They, they were good around 2011, 2012. That's when they went to the Western Conference Finals in 2012 when they lost to L.A. And kind of from then, it's been this slow decline of how they perform. Good playoffs of course, this year. Yeah. 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 And then I, I start watching. Right. And then the year. I start watching when that season ended, they traded like half their players. So it was basically a new roster when I started college. And that was the year they had, they didn't win any of their first 20 games. <laughs> so, and they, this was the first year since I think 2012 or 2013 that they made the playoffs. But do you really count it as the playoffs? Cause it's a different year. I mean, you can, yeah, they, they did make the playoffs this year, but it's been an interesting time as a Coyotes supporter, to say the least. Well, this is a weird offseason to be a Coyotes fan as well because you've got kind of a controversy in net. I guess I don't know if you could call it a controversy, but you've got two of the best goalies in, in hockey, and then you've got Ekman Larson, who was recently signed to the contract extension, but there's been rumors swirling about him, and that's kind of scary, I'm sure, as a Coyotes fan. And then the future of Taylor Hall, I think, I think I'm think i sure many Coyotes fans are skeptical. Hall, in my personal opinion, I didn't think the acquisition of Hall was necessary this season. They were actually on a really good streak. They weren't winning every game, but I think they acquired him like December or January and right before they were on a really good streak and they were performing really well. And then out of nowhere, they acquired Hall and it was like, cool. Do we really need him? I don't know. And then he didn't really seem to help in the playoffs anyways. And you can kind of tell that he doesn't really want to stay here, which I don't blame him, but it, it is interesting though, because he did, he was on Jersey. And when the season started over a year ago, Jersey was supposed to be like the hot commodity team because they had PK Subban and they had Taylor Hall and then they got um, the number one draft pick. So they had all these, they seemed like they had their ducks in a row and then the season started and they just didn't perform well at all. So then they got 
when the Coyotes got Paul's like, okay, obviously he didn't want to be in Jersey anymore, but I'm not sure how much he'll help Arizona. Well, I mean, New Jersey and Arizona have kind of an interesting relationship because then this year you had the the general manager that resigned after he wanted the to The drama, yeah. And that was what that's what's his name? John John Chaika, Chaika? How do you say his name? Chaika. Yeah. yeah. I remember when that news came out just being very confused by it. I cuz from what I had heard he wanted to to be a general manager of like multiple franchises, not just not hockey franchises, but multiple like sports leagues. Like he wanted to widen his portfolio a little bit, which is something that is kind of unheard of. Yeah, there were a lot of different stories that had some similarities and some differences. One of the reporters, one of the Coyotes beat reporters that I follow, Craig Morgan, he kind of heard that he, Chaikia was offered an interview with New Jersey and then the new owner of the Coyotes didn't want him to interview and then Chaikia didn't like that this new owner was taking a little bit more a hands-on approach and then just that that sort of miscommunication and general I don't know if it was dislike but mistrust probably that resulted in that. Yeah, you definitely need trust between owner and GM in order to operate. Yeah, you'd think so, right? <laughs> I guess that's pretty important. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not Could a huge. Be wrong, right? I, I'm no expert, but I do, I do think owner and GM should probably be, you know, at least able to have a working relationship. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think the future of the Coyotes look like? You had that playoff appearance this year, but it, like you said, it's kind of got an asterisk next to it. A weird off season coming up. If you were If you were betting right now, what do you think it's going to look like next year? Is it a return to the playoffs? Is it a a decline? What do you think? It, there's a lot of factors that could play into it. I think one thing is when they're even going to start the season True. because usually it's already started. Uh, I think another thing is obviously they have to figure out their goalie situation because that's kind of been a discrepancy in the team for quite a while because they acquired Ranta in 2017 from the Rangers. And he was supposed to be the starting guy. It was going to be his first season as a starting goalie. And then he got hurt. And then their usual backup goalie, Louis Domingue, just wasn't performing well. So then he went to the Lightning, and then they got Scott Wedgwood from, where did they get him from? I don't know. They had Scott Wedgwood for a while, and he was performing fine. And then they randomly traded Wedgwood for Kemper, who was basically saving LA's butt that season because Jonathan Quick was injured. So Kemper came in, he was great. So for the past, two seasons it's been okay is it Kemper or is it Ronta we're not really sure Ronta keeps getting injured Kemper is usually great but then once in a while he'll have these really weird off games and they should win games and they're not so they have to figure that out and they also don't have a lot they didn't have a number one draft pick this year that was another thing with like backroom drama because something happened, I don't know the exact thing that happened, but something with the NHL prospects training camp 
something regarding that happened and the Coyotes broke some rules. So they got their round one draft pick taken away. So they don't have a lot of incoming growth as of right now. And I would argue they still have a pretty young core base. So a lot of their problems in the past few years has been they don't have the confidence to win these high pressure games. And you can see it when they're playing teams that have a really heavy veteran based center like Dallas. The core of their guys are veterans or they always struggle against the Oilers, which is dumb because the Oilers never do well in the season anyways. And then they always choke against the Bruins too, which they have the, I think the highest average age of all the NHL teams, you know, they're stacked with vets. So they have some things to figure out. Honestly, I don't have that high of hopes for this season. I think the past few years, I'm all gung-ho coyotes, like, yeah, they're going to do great. This year, not so much just because of everything that has happened and all these outside voices as well saying, oh, they're going to go to Houston or they're going to go to, I don't know, somewhere in Canada. And it's also interesting because once Seattle officially joins the league, they'll be shifted over to the Central Division. So there's a lot of factors that come into play, but I would say overall, I don't have extremely high hopes for this coming season, but of course, I hope they prove me wrong and the owners figure stuff out and they can get rolling on a good season. <laughs> well, yeah, it's for everything you just said, but most of all, I mean, like you said, you're changing divisions. You've got a whole new team coming. You've got an expansion draft coming up as well. Mm-hmm. I know as a Golden Knights fan, I can relate to the goalie controversy because we just traded for Robert Leonard who is, you know, raising a little bit of hell within the Golden Knights organization because yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury's agent came out and basically... Oh, that, that whole drama. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Because Fleury, is a, he's a fan favorite. He's mm-hmm. the, the guy who helped bring us to a Western Conference championship in our first season. And it's, it's causing a whole rift in the fan base a little bit because Robin Leonard is very, very good as a goalie. But Fleury's kind of a fan favorite and is also still a really good goalie. So that's going to be an interesting decision that they have to make this offseason. As a, as a Knights fan, I'm curious to see what they do there. It wouldn't surprise me if they just roll forward with both. But uh, Did you see – have you seen from Vegas fans where most of their loyalties lie? Or is it kind of just split down the middle? Uh, I would say about 75% of Knights fans are upset that Pete DeBoer elected to play Leonard in the postseason. Um, people were like, really felt like Fleury had been backstabbed. You can mm-hmm. you can mark me in the 25%. I think Robin Leonard did a fine job in the postseason, and I have no problem with having two elite goalies. Uh, I don't think that's ever an issue because goalie injuries can disrupt an entire season. So yes, <laughs> yes I, they can. I'm not upset about that at all. Um, I always the the Coyotes have a special place in my heart because they played the Golden Knights in their first uh, first ever home game. And oh yeah, that was I, a, I was watching. <laughs> that was a special day. That was the first time I got to watch hockey, and that came at a very important time in Vegas' history. And so uh, I and I know the Coyotes were were super like respectful and stuff that day. And so I. 
that I would say if I had to pick a second team, it would be them. I used to say it would be the Sharks because I love Sharks as an animal, but then I realized I do not love Sharks as a hockey team. <laughs> I don't like any of the California, any team, any California team of any sport. Understandably. It's, it's the Arizona in me, I guess. Oh, no. I, I mean, I'm a Suns fan, so I'm legally required to hate the Lakers and Warriors and Clippers <laughs> and all of them. This year's tough because I love LeBron, but I can't love LeBron because the Lakers are my arch nemesis. So right. it's caused some issues. Uh, I think we're getting close to wrapping things up here on on What's the Score. I We've talked music. We've talked sports. I'm going to go a completely new direction for my last question. I, I want you to to leave the listeners with something. What is your number one movie recommendation? Oh, that's hard. On the spot. Cause, Cause Gannon, I'm like a huge movie person. So I, oh. Give me three then. We'll go, I'll, I'll open up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> but I also like the best movies or like my, the ones I can rewatch over and over. Cause they're different. <laughs> uh, let's do one of each. Okay. So I would say, Mm, oh, this is so tough. <laughs> I'll want- just do I'll just do two that I really like. So um Captain Fantastic, if you have seen that. Or I have not have. seen that. So I will give a brief synopsis. It is about this family and this dad is raising his children in the Canadian wilderness. They kind of have separated themselves from normal civilization and hunt their own food and do like defense training, but he's also teaching them to think for themselves. So they have super high IQs, all these children. I think there's like six of them with age ranges, all this other place, but their mom is sick. She has mental health issues and they find out that she killed herself. So her parents want to have a funeral for her, but in her will, it says she wants to be cremated. So basically they drive down to New Mexico where this funeral service is going to be to, it's like mission save mom. So they can cremate her, but they've never really, a lot of the children haven't been in civilized society before. So they're kind of seeing like obese people for the same, for the first time or just other quirky stuff. So it's pretty deep and also really insightful. Uh, it's it's feel good, but it's also sad. And you also learn a lot about like religion and history and family in general. And then my other one that I also enjoy, I like Wes Anderson. I know that can be a, a sensitive topic, but I really like the Royal Tenenbaums. It's also a movie about dysfunctional families and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty dark, but some of, I would say a lot of Wes Anderson's movies are, they, they, on the surface, they appear really happy and feel good, but then they're also really dark. So yeah, I would say those two. That's my favorite kind of movie is movies that are like, they're simultaneously really dark, but also really satisfying. And yes, I think that speaks volumes and my favorite movie of all time is 500 days of summer i'm not sure if you've seen that but I have seen it. yes that's one of those movies that hits you like a 
bag of bricks, but yet yes. it's so enjoyable because it's funny and it's got an awesome soundtrack. And yet at the end of the movie, you're sitting there like, what in the world did I just experience? And yeah. so I think those are the I best. Would say the, I would say the Royal Tenenbaums has a similar tone to 500 Days of Summer. Not not a similar plot, but the tone, it's there. It's the it's funny, but it's also very, very sad. And if this ever happened in real life, I would be very sad, you know? <laughs> I want to I wanna watch it. I, I just looked it up, and the cast looks awesome. And it's got all these people that I really like. Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. Bill Murray, Gwyneth Paltrow. I think yep. that looks like a cast I would be into. And if it's a, if it's a, a dark comedy, then count me in. Yeah, you should, you should give it a, a watch if you're feeling up to it. Well, we'll leave it on that note. I will make an effort to go watch the Royal Tenenbaums and perhaps Captain Fantastic as well. Uh, tell me, what what shows do you have on Blaze Radio? Let's plug your content real quick. Yeah, I have my music specialty show called Witching Hour, which is dedicated to women in the music industry. I kind of pick like a theme or genre or decade that I play every week. So I think it was... Tuesday yeah Tuesday I had my 90s themed show I have yet to decide what I'm doing next week but that is that's my special show it plays Tuesdays from two to three two to three I'm gonna have to check it out I expect to hear some Phoebe Bridgers at some point down the line if it hasn't been yeah, already yeah. <laughs> well thank you for joining us Allie I'm sure you'll be a guest at some point down the line when I when I run out of people I think <laughs> I've got a I've got a great base of people to call in and you're definitely part of that crew thanks and thanks for having me i i appreciate it and yeah i'm just i'm happy that we're on the board together i know i i should say that more often but it's it's already been such a fun time so i'm very excited for the rest of the year speaking of cliche phrases i am proud to be a member of the blaze family This has been What's the Score? I'm Gannon Hannibal with Ali Kresniak. We'll see you next Thursday at 4.30 on Blaze Radio at blazeradioonline.com.